Well, thanks so much for joining me today. I have Brian Fanzo with me and I am so excited to have him. Brian, thanks so much for, for coming on. Uh, excited to be here. Always, always a good time uh, talking social and everything else. So uh, excited to be here. Yeah, well, it's fun because I've been watching you for many, many years here and um, we've met a few times here and just getting to know you a little bit. It's really fun to watch how you're building your own, your own brand online and just how you're influencing other people to build their brand too. So I'm excited to kind of get to pick your brain on that a little bit today. Sure. No, I'm, uh, I always enjoy talking about that. For me, you know, it's that, you know, sometimes from the outside in, things look like an overnight success, but I think we all know that there's no such thing as an overnight success, but at the same time, uh, you know, investing yourself, uh, personal brand growth, uh, for me, it's changed my, changed my personal and my business life. And I, and I, and I owe a lot to uh, social media. I owe a lot to content creation. So if I can uh, inspire others to kind of take that similar path, to me, that's a, that's a win-win across the board. That's great. That's great. Okay. So what do people typically know you for? Um, what are, what do people know you're kind of an expert in and what are you all about? So yeah, this, I mean, that's an interesting one. You know, I'm a, I have a technology background. I have a, you know, as a marketer, um, I think I'm probably the only one that uh, worked in cybersecurity for the department of defense for nine years. Um, so I have, I, I came from the tech side. I really never um, took formal marketing. Marketing really wasn't my background. I like, change community and collaboration those are like my three c's um but what does that mean or what do people really know me for um i'm a millennial i'm kind of a proud to be a millennial uh, side of the house where uh, i think a lot of people a lot of brands come to me and say brian we want to relate with millennials we want to connect with millennials or gen z how do we take our marketing message today and relate with a younger generation uh, and then the other half of that is social video uh, i can say about Two and a half years ago or three years ago when live video came out, mm -hmm. um, I dove headfirst into live video. I wasn't a video person, didn't have a big YouTube channel, but live video fit who I was because I, I'm real, I'm raw, I, I, I talk fast, I'm authentic, I, I'm not afraid to say I don't know, and so live video fit in there. So for me, it's kind of a combination of uh, you know, technology side. Uh, and the technology side plays nicely. I host two podcasts. Um, I create a lot of content on a lot of different channels. Uh, the millennial marketing side of the house. And then probably the last one there is uh, just really how do I use social video to grow my brand? Wow. That's amazing. And I love that you just like dove headfirst into something that was like so, so new and it's hard to know, gosh, is this going to stick or not? Um, I'm sure you see that a lot. Do you have any criteria of like what what you decide or how you decide what you're going to invest your time in as far as content creation? Oh, that's a good one. Um, so for me, um, I like to say my secret to success is that I lean into what works. Mm -hmm. So I try a lot of things and I can tell you a lot of the things that I try don't work. Um, I'd say a mass majority don't work and I, I'm okay with that. I, I'm not a big believer in saying like failure is a necessary step to success and we hear lots of things. I mean, failure sucks. I mean, I will say that without question. Like I, um, I've failed many times where I thought I was going to be successful on certain things. But what I try is I throw a lot of things out there. I test them, I tweak them. And then when something works, I just, I just ride it. Right. And I think um, that's where live video came. Like, I mean, before live video, I tried to launch a YouTube channel three different times, all three times failed. It really didn't fit my mantra. I couldn't be consistent with it. Um, I was really big on Twitter. Twitter was kind of like my platform for a long time. And the reason I liked Twitter is it was, 
you know, quick and raw and just kind of you throw it out there and um, it doesn't last forever, but it's something that you can kind of build a rapport and conversations for. Um, and then live video came and I tried to, I dove in the same thing, but I can tell you, you know, I launched a podcast two years prior to live video. Um, if I like to say that if I hadn't lost, launched the podcast and leaned into the podcast, I never would have been successful on live video, which kind of sounds probably not, you know, kind of counterintuitive because one's audio only and one, of course, is video, but you have to get used to telling your story. And what the podcast allowed me to do is it allowed me to realize that people related with me, not because I tried to be perfect, but actually because of the opposite, because I was okay with my imperfections. I talked about my vulnerabilities. And so when live video came out, I kind of just took what I had learned in the podcasting space and adapted that to this live format where people are asking questions and very um, interactive. And so you know, I believe that's kind of way we have to work right now. I think we are living in the greatest time uh, for marketing in the world. I think it's, it's amazing that it doesn't matter who you work for, where you live, what your resume is. If you have the ability to tell your story, relate with people and connect at that human level, leveraging digital technology, you can truly make a difference. The, the thing about that that scares a lot of old school marketers is that's change and you have to be able to adapt. And just because something worked last year doesn't mean it'll work this year. Just because something's working today doesn't mean it'll work tomorrow. But for me, that's exciting because it just means that we have to adapt like our consumers adapt. And that's where I kind of focus. And I can tell you, I don't plan uh, six months out. I like to plan 30 days out. And I actually, I showed you just before we, we yeah. started recording, you know, I'm, I literally have a sticky note where I'm writing down what my plan is for the month, what things I'm working on. But I can tell you of the probably 12 things that I have on here, eight of them will probably be what I actually do. Four of them will be scrapped. And so that's kind of the world that I live in is adapting on the fly, being okay, you know, going after something, leaning into what works, but also being okay with completely adjusting and pivoting, even if it's working. Like sometimes for some people that looked at my career, I had a very successful marketing agency and I completely pivoted away from the agency. And for a lot on the outside in, we're like, what was he doing? Something started to take off. And for me, I realized it wasn't what I loved to do. And I pivoted away from it immediately as I realized that. And so I think for those that, you know, for me, I, I lean into what works, but I'm also not afraid to throw out something, even if it worked previously, because I know the future is constantly changing. Yeah. Okay. So you create a lot of content, right? In a given week, given month, there's a lot going out under your brand, right? Oh yes. Usually about eight pieces of content a week. Okay. So how... I've seen you do this a little bit with your podcast where you will like record it with live video and that's just you, you're on the, you're the only one on it. It's not an interview style. Um, are there other things like that that you do that kind of marry a lot of these things so that you're kind of working smarter, not harder in your content creation? Oh yes. That's, I mean, that's a, I mean, I think anyone can hustle. Anyone can work hard. Uh, if you want to be successful, you have to work smart. And that took me, you know, this is my fourth year as an entrepreneur. Uh, it took me two and a half years uh, to figure that out. I, I was really good at just working hard, sticking my head down, doing a little bit of everything. Um, but I, I like to use a term called upcycling. And what I mean by upcycling is I upcycle my content. So I've always, we've always heard the phrase content is king. Uh, mm -hmm. I like the caveat and say great content is king. 
And then when, you, when I say great content, what does that mean? Well, great content is determined by your audience, not you, the creator. We all think we create great content. Um, we've heard the term like, hey, we're going to create a viral video. No video is created viral because the creator believes it's viral. The audience decides, hey, this is so good and relates to me so well that I share it with my community and that's how something goes viral. And so what I try to focus on is rather, you know, I, I said I do eight pieces of content a week. But of that eight pieces of content, one, one or six of those pieces are based on one piece of, uh, of actual content. And what I mean by upcycling is I record my podcast live on live video. So it's a Facebook live. Mm -hmm. I, I rip the audio out and I upload that into a tool called Lipson, which pushes it out as a podcast. And then I take clips of that and I turn that into different video pieces of content. I take the audio transcript after getting it transcribed and I turn that into a blog post. And so what I like to say is I focus on that 45 minutes of creating really great content, relating with my audience, you know, going back and forth. And then I take that and kind of tweak it into different pieces because I like to believe that the field of dreams marketing is broken. And the idea of field of dreams, because this is the Kevin Costner movie, yeah. if you build it, they will come. And I believe today, if you build it, nobody is coming. Nobody cares that you have a new website, a new Instagram account. Nobody cares about your email newsletter just because you have an email newsletter. You have to bring your content to where your audience is. And that's what I focus really hard on. So if you, if you like to listen to podcasts, you can listen to my podcast. If you prefer to consume via video, you can consume my, my live video content. If you prefer to consume and read blog posts, you can read my blog, which are transcribes of my podcast. Because we've always heard the term, the, the, the phrase, everybody learns and consumes differently. But weirdly enough in marketing, we've always forced people to do it our way. Hey, we have a blog. I don't care that you like audio. I don't care that you, you, you learn better. You need to go read this in, in, in blog format. And I think for me, that's been one of my secrets is I don't force people to consume content my way. I give them the option to consume it, which is ever is best for them. So although I do eight pieces of content a week, um, you know, I would say of that, of those eight pieces, maybe two hours are actually creating the content itself uh, of the entire week. The rest of that is, is tweaking the content and then shaping it for each different platform. Wow. That's amazing. I love that. I love the machine. Like it, it's you, you're, you're very organic in that you're not planning six months out and it's not super regimented, but at the same time, you've got a system down. I do. That's amazing. And That's I can awesome. tell you, my system is pretty dialed in now. I'm a, I'm a calendar driven person, but I'm also, um, I know that because I, I'm a creator and I like to create, sometimes I spend way too much time editing, way too much time polishing. And so I put timers up and I can tell you, I finish my podcast. It's usually about 35 minutes. It's a solo podcast, as you said. Yeah. Um, and then I spend 40 minutes to upcycle that content in the six other pieces of content. Four, 40 minutes is my, like I put a timer in and it's like eight minutes creating a, a graphic for the blog. Um, you know, then I spent 10 minutes writing the, uh, editing the show notes. Then I spent 10 minutes editing the, the SEO version of, uh, of the content. So I have keywords and I have a title. Um, and I have all, like, I literally set a timer because what I learned was if I want to create a, a great blog, um, you know, using Canva or Photoshop, if I want to create a great, um, you know, let's just say a logo or something that, you know, a, a video, a visual for that, that blog post, I can spend 40 minutes to an hour doing that yeah. to your point earlier, right? Working harder and smarter. But then I realized if I spend an hour doing that, you really can't tell the difference between an hour and an eight minute, you know, like there are some differences, but it's, it's not 
know, advantageous for me. And so what I've decided is I've, and, and this took a lot of training, right? Like this took me like, okay, Brian, what does an eight minute graphic look like versus a 40 minute graphic? Right. And can anybody tell the difference? And what I did is I would test it, right? I would throw it out there and be like, okay, I spent 40 minutes on this social share graphic and it didn't get shared anymore than the graphic that I shared uh, that I took eight minutes to create. So like, what's the value add? And then I figured out, okay, if I spent more time creating the show notes to be very formulated and less time on the graphic, then I get more bang for my buck. And so it is, I, I, um, I like to say I, I, I'm okay with imperfection, but being imperfect doesn't mean that I, I just randomly do everything in my life. Like it, it is, you know, I do use a timer. I do have a program set down because if you want to scale, if you want to, if you, you know, I, I'm a full-time keynote speaker. I do 60 events a year. Um, I travel on the road a lot. And so for me, I still create all of that content. Um, and the reason that I'm able to do that is because I do have a system that works. Wow. So are there other um, habits or patterns outside of these systems for creating content that have helped you really build digital authority and build your audience? So I think, you know, this is one of those things where um, I listen and learn to what other people are doing, but I don't copy what other people are doing. And, and I like to say, uh, I like to zig when everyone is zagging. And so if I see everyone doing something a certain way, I will study why they're doing that. And then I'll actually try to do it something completely different, right? And, and it's just so nat natural for me because I would rather play in a much smaller fish pond than where everybody is currently fishing, right? And that's where, that's something I really focus on. So that's one of my, my strong suits is, and it's interesting, like live video was my big thing. And then once everyone started doing live video, I doubled down on podcasting. And I launched a second podcast. Actually, next week I'm launching my third podcast. And people were like, wait a second, Brian, you're the live video guy. Like what happened? Like live video took off. And I realized I helped you know, facilitate the, the launch of live video in the marketing space. But then once everyone was there playing, it's a very crowded space. It's a very noisy space. And if I want to make the, you know, prioritize my time, what I realized was I don't need to be playing where everyone else is playing. I'm going to adjust and adapt and I'm going I'm to tweak that my own way. And, um, and, and that's kind of what I did. And it, it's worked really well for me. And then another piece of that is I use scheduling tools a lot. So I, I always like to say automation gets a bad rap. And I will say automation is not bad. It's the users of automation that are bad, right? <laughs> it's all of us humans, right? Automation doesn't spam our inbox with 15 email newsletters a week. That's us scheduling that to happen. And so I use tools like Buffer. I use tools like Canva. I, I like using tools that allow me to schedule content, but I always allow myself to also have time for engagement and replying and, and, and connecting. And, um, and then the other part of that is one of the things that I found for me, and, I, and this is advice that I use for everybody that I coach and mentor, is that I tell my story where I'm most comfortable first. And then the second place I tell my story is where my audience is. I think most people get that wrong. Most people say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to launch this. and I'm going to tell my story where my audience is first. And the problem with that is it's hard. It's not natural. We don't really like it. And when, we, when, when something's hard, not natural, and we don't really like it, it's really hard to be consistent. And so what I like to say is, I, you know, Instagram stories is like my current place, favorite place to document my journey. And so I've done an Instagram story every single day since it launched. I have not missed a single day. Um, and, you know, and sometimes it's one story, sometimes it's 300 stories, right? But for me, that, that's where I'm most natural. And so I tell my story on Instagram stories, but I still have a podcast. I still have a blog on my website. I still post on Twitter. I still post to Facebook. But I think it's one of those things that I've learned is that 
I allow myself to really hone in on where I like to be first. And then second, I focus on where my audience is. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, and I love too that you mentioned like planning out time for engagement because that's one thing that I think a lot of people miss. Um, they're so busy putting their message out there to the world that they don't take the time to actually go and be a real human with people. And that's one thing I think you do well, just from, you know, interacting and being friends with you on social media, um, seeing as we live in opposite parts of the country. So, well, and I think social media, I mean, the thing about social media is we can't forget the first word social. (laughs) Um, and, and I think the interesting thing is I don't care how great you are at creating content. Content is a great way of telling your story, but it's the relationships that you build beyond the content where it's the magic. Right. And I will say, I think Twitter chats, funny enough, Twitter chats are something that has changed my life. I mean, my, I had, I found, I found a business partner and I found two of the people that I, I've collaborated the most with via Twitter chats. And a Twitter chat is, you know, a, uh, everyone joins a, a, on a hashtag at a certain hour and we all participate on a certain topic. And for me, it's the, you know, I, I, have, I have all of these systems. I do all of these content creation, but my goal is to facilitate conversation. Right. Like that's where, that's where I am. And so if you're creating a lot of content and you're not giving yourself time to create conversation and engage with people, you're missing the value. You're going to be, you know, and and I, I've been preaching this a lot recently. And I, I say, if you treat social media like a billboard, you get billboard results, right? Nobody has a conversation with a billboard. Nobody has an emotional connection with a billboard. Nobody feels empathy with a billboard. And so if you're, con- if, you're, if you're pumping out a bunch of content, but you're not facilitating conversation, you technically are a billboard. You're talking at people, not with people. And if you, I mean, I mean, who out there right now wants more billboards in our life? We want more people. We want more human interaction. We want more conversation. Uh, I can tell you, I tweet a lot on, my, um, on Twitter. Um, I have a, you know, a very active Twitter account, uh, a couple hundred thousand followers in my account, but every single reply has come from me. Not one other person has ever replied. If you've ever at mentioned me on Twitter, like you've replied to me with a question or a comment, I've replied to every single one for the last six years. Like I, I take that very to heart. Uh, every Instagram DM that isn't a copy paste spam, um, uh, I've replied to. <laughs> yes, uh, I've replied to every one of them. In LinkedIn, LinkedIn as well. Like I checked my LinkedIn uh, email box twice a day. And I really, I, I, LinkedIn's been a big uh, value proposition for me, but I spend a lot of time, and, you know, and people will say, well, Brian, there's so much spam in there. And there's so much crap. And I'm like, there is, there's a lot of crap. There's a lot of spam, a lot of people that are copying and pasting, but there's also a lot of value. Yeah. And I'm okay deleting, unfollowing, um, and going through that. But yeah, I, I firmly believe that um, you, get, you get out of social what you put into social. And unfortunately, we added the word marketing to the end of social media, and we took off the word social. And all of a sudden, it was media marketing, right? Like, we just became dropping links and spamming things out there. And someone told us to blog, so we blogged seven days a week. And then I'm like, why are we blogging seven days a week? And they're like, uh, I don't even know. I'm like, do you actually have something to say seven days a week? Like, I don't have something to say seven days a week, right? Like, I mean, give me a break. And so I, I do, I spend a lot of time um, engaging, a lot of time being connected. But I also will tell you that whole working smart thing, you know, I have different notifications set up on different devices. So like on my computer, when I'm on my computer, there's only certain things that will disrupt me from a notification perspective, right? Yeah. On my phone, there's only certain things that will disrupt me. On my iPad, it's actually different than my phone, right? My iPad, uh, my iPad for me is more of a... Um, I wouldn't even say entertainment. Like I enjoy when I'm on my, I'm on my iPad, I'm either 
consuming content or I'm engaging on social media or I'm watching Netflix or something on that, right? So the, the notifications that come there, like I get Instagram notifications on my iPad because I'm like, oh, I'm okay being disrupted by Instagram when I'm on my iPad. But when I'm on my phone, I don't need every Instagram notification because I would go crazy, right? Or every Twitter notification. But when I'm on my laptop, when I'm on my desktop, I also am usually in my email box. And I, I hate email, so I can be easily distracted in my email box. So I don't get much notifications when I'm on my laptop. And I think that's important because people, I mean, the question I get all the time is like, Brian, how do you, how do you find time to engage so much on social media? And I have two secrets to that. The first one is I manage my notifications. So I don't get disrupted when I'm doing certain things. And the second one is I find pockets of time. We all get to a, I was in the dentist office yesterday and I took, I had 18 minutes before they, they took me back into the, the back room of the dentist office yesterday. I must've replied to, I'd say 40 tweets, eight Instagram DMs I posted on LinkedIn in that 18 minutes, right? Uh, I was on a conference call yesterday, twice the conference call dropped and we had to wait to get back in. As soon as it dropped, I picked up my phone and I was replying to tweets. And so it's not a matter of, we, we're, we are all quote unquote busy, but if we end up finding those pockets of time and we engage in those pockets of time, that's where we, we can scale and, and find value. And so um, that's, those are kind of my focuses. But yeah, I would say, um, my, I, I said it early on, you know, my personal life and my professional life have been drastically um, improved and, I, and have changed thanks to social media, but it's the engagement not just the content creation. Yeah. So personal life, you do talk about your personal life a fair amount on social. Um, have, is, do you have kind of like unspoken rules of like what you share, what you don't share? Um, and like how, how open you get with your audiences? Oh, that's a good one. Um, you know, I big, I'm a big believer in transparency. I, I, I really, but there's a difference between transparency and oversharing right? Sure. Oversharing is posting every lunch you had. Hey, I'm tweeting from the bathroom. Nobody cares, right? Like, let's, let's keep that. But then transparent. And, and what I like to say is I risk first reward everything. So if I'm going to post something, I say, what's the risks of me posting this? And what's the possible reward outcomes? If the rewards outweigh the risk in my own risk matrix, matrix, yeah. But then I go with it, right? And I think for people that are out there, I always tell people, don't be as transparent as me. Like I talk about my daughters on, on social media. I talk about ADHD. I talk about my failures. I've cried on my Instagram stories when I lost a client. Um, I'm very okay with that, but it's because my risk portfolio is different than yours, right? And so, or anyone that's out there. And, that, and that's kind of how I do that. Um, I'm also a mama's boy. And so I like to say that if my mom would not be okay with something I'm posting on social media, I do not post it. And my mom isn't very active on social, but I like to think of that like before, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to complain to somebody or if I'm going to reply or give a troll um, some kind of attention, I think about that and say, what would my mom think of me doing that? And it sounds crazy. I'm 37 years old. I'm a dad of three girls. Um, but it, th th that goes through my head a lot. And, and it allows me, it prevents me from doing things that I might regret. But at the same time, it allows me to kind of push different envelopes. And so I am very transparent. I can say, um, you know, my transparency has allowed me to succeed. Oftentimes people relate with me like, I mean, so many of my business conversations have started saying, Brian, I love how much you love being a dad and I love how much you share about your daughters. And then we get into business, right? And it's that whole old adage. Um, my dad made me learn golf growing up, right? Because he always told me golf was done on the, uh, business was done on the golf course. Well, then I got on the golf course after I learned golf and I realized nobody talked about business. 
And I was confused. I'm like, wait a second. I thought business was done on the golf course. And it's because we connect with humans, right? We, right. we share stories, troubles and triumphs. And we talk about, you know, marriage and kids and the doctors and, you know, grandparents. And, we, and, and for me, that's where social media has been a lot of valuable for me. But I can also say there's things that have happened in my life that, that have tested that, right? Like I do have three daughters and how much do I want to put my daughters out there? Um, I was divorced. I got divorced about three years ago. How do I share my divorce? How do I, how do I put that out there when I'm a very, uh, you know, I preach trust and transparency, but at the same time I have to respect certain boundaries. And so my, my secret to that is risk versus reward. And, and I, it sounds, I'm, I'm a computer science major. So remember I'm very programmatic in some things and I, I, I will literally, so I'm not, I will write it down. I don't, I'm not even afraid to write it down. I'll say, okay, fine. What's the risk of me talking about this? What is the possible reward? And I think the weird part of that is for a lot of us, we risk versus reward things, but we do it three years ago. And we say, we will never talk about this on social media. And what I like to say, have you changed? Have what, how has social media changed? We have to re-examine what we share and why we share it. Also, why we don't share certain things, right? Like, and I, I have a couple of friends just recently that they told me, they, they heard me talk about this and they were like, well, Brian, three years ago, I really wasn't into social media for sharing about my kids because social media was very filters and everybody's putting on the grass is green and all this stuff. They're like, but my social media has changed so much that like now they're starting to share about their kids. And I think that's the whole thing about status quo. Like you almost have to go back and ask yourself, why am I not sharing this and re, re risk versus reward that and then move forward for that? So um, I, I, I am a mama's boy, but I do risk versus reward a lot of things that I share. I like that. I, I think the same thing sometimes where I'm like, okay, uh, you know, my parents are, are going to see this. My siblings are going to see this, you know, even grandparents are going to see this. Like, right. what are they going to think? You know, are they, you know, is this going to be offensive to them? So it's, a good thing to think through. I like that. Um, and then, you know, too, just like the concept of like really mapping it all out um, and even writing it down sometimes. Cause you know what? I did that the other day with a similar type of problem, not, not necessarily what I was going to post on social, but um, just thinking through, a, 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 I was processing through and I literally wrote out a pro con list, you know, of like yep. what, what's the best. And um, it might, my, my guess, because you have all of your post-its everywhere and your handwriting is that you have you like to write things down and that's how you process things and I do it's funny I for a while there I thought I had to have everything digital <laughs> and I finally one day realized like no the handwritten like to-do list and the notebook like I need that because it's going to help me process it so um, I love to see that you have this whole like analog side as well as the digital and I think that's, that's usually a misconception millennials get, right? Millennial Gen Z, like, oh, you're, everything's digital. But it's also something we put on ourselves. I love that you said that because I'm the same way. Like I did, I have an iPad Pro and I've taken notes a hundred times on there. And what I realized is they go into this like great abyss uh -huh. and they just like disappear. Yeah. And like, if it's, if it's concrete, if I write it down on a sticky note or it's on my wall, I have these giant sticky notes on my wall. Um, that helps me, it helps me get it out of my head but yeah. it helps me not forget, right? Like that's right. that, it's that weird space of like, I get a lot of stuff out of my head. And then I, like, if you look at my Google docs, I have like 400 half written blogs uh -huh. because I, I put it into Google docs and then it just kind of sits there and then disappears. <laughs> but yeah, that we, we both are the same way. But if I, if I half write the blog and put it on my wall on a sticky note, or I put it down on a piece of paper, it's a lot harder for me to ignore that. It's a lot harder for me to forget yeah. that. And so I think 
you know, it's one of those things you have to figure out yourself. Um, I wasn't sure how much of that was for me. So I spent earlier this year, uh, I spent the entire month of February and March only going back to digital. Cause I was like, you know what? I wonder if digital, you know, I, I tried, I, I tried digital then realized analog was how I like to do. I, I take notes, but I was like, you know what? Maybe there's better tools out there. I, I went into list management. I, I did Asana and Trello and I got all these notes platforms and Google docs. And I spent two months trying to go back to all digital. And then I realized quickly, nope, that doesn't work for me. And I think that's the key, right? Whatever works yeah. for you, own it. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what year you were born. Um, it, it is funny how most people assume that we, you know, under the age of 45, we all like, oh, we want everything digital. And I'm like, half the time, I'm like, no, no. I like, I mean, I have, I have, I have paperback books because when I realize that I, my books are on my computer, I, yep, look at, we, we both are holding up paperback books. They're right next to me, but yep, all day yep. long. <laughs> yep, and me too. And, and I think what I realized was like, I can read on a Kindle, but as soon as I'm on like a Kindle or an iPad, I default to reading a blog post over a book. So if I want to read a book, it needs to be paperback. So I think that's, that's also one of those things like working smart versus harder is figuring out what works for you. Like I'm, I'm such an advocate for like everyone reads those blogs that are like eight things to do before 6am that billionaires do. Yeah. Like, that's because that's what worked for them, right? Like read that, be okay with it, but understand that it has to work for you or you're just gonna be someone else's exhaust. I think in this world right now, I mean, I, most people are blown away when they figure out that I'm not as digitally obsessed as people might assume I am yeah. uh, because of what I put out there because I'm like, Hey, no, this is what works for me. I brainstorm on a bunch of sticky notes on my wall and that's kind of how I move forward. Yeah. Well, I mean, I live in the country and you know, kind of live this like half farming life and right. people are like, you do. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Cause I like, I like gardening. I like doing things where I don't have a screen in front of me. Right. It's nice to take a break sometimes. That's and it's nice sure. to have a, a good excuse to do that. So Oh man. All right. Well, cool. Well, so one of the biggest things that whenever I think of you, I think of this one phrase and it's really been in the last year that I've really kind of connected this phrase to you. And that is to press the damn button. So, um, what, um, what does that phrase mean for you and what are you hoping the world will hear when they hear you talk about this? Sure. So press the damn button. It's funny. It's, uh, you know, I'm a full-time keynote speaker. So like 90% uh, of my revenue is based on public speaking. That's where, that's where I get my, uh, my revenue. And I love, I love being a public speaker. It's my dream job. It's what I will do for the rest of my life. Um, but at the same time, I'm not one that sells unicorns and rainbows and fluffy uh, ideas. Uh, I think in this world we're living in right now, everyone can consume information. Yeah. Everyone can read. I mean, I listen to, I mean, I listen to about 12 podcasts a week uh, when I'm traveling. I don't listen to as much when I'm, uh, I'm home, but like I listen to a lot of podcasts, but there's so many of us, we can just, we can all consume. The people that are successful are those that actually consume and then do something. And the press the damn button, it used to be one slide on my, in, my, in my presentations. And I would tell people like, you know, learn all these things, take all these notes, but make sure you actually do something. Because what happened was I would come back and it started off because people assumed it was because of video, right? Like press the damn button, just yeah. go live, just do it. And it started with video, but ultimately the bigger picture of this is you, everyone has a story to tell. We all can change the world, but we all do a disservice by not putting ourselves out there. And yeah. so I think we overthink everything. I mean, 
the amount of times that you, I mean, people would do this all the time. Like, okay, I was going to do a video, but then the lighting wasn't right. And then once I got the lighting right, I realized that my hair wasn't done. So I needed to get a haircut the next week. So then you wait till the next week. And then the next week comes along. You're like, okay, now my hair is right. But now I'm afraid I don't have enough hours in the day to make it happen. So I'm going to push it off to the next week. And eventually we just push things off. And for me, I would have people come back to me as a speaker a year later. I mean, and this happened actually at Social Media Marketing World uh, 2017. Someone came up to me and said, Brian, you changed my life. And I was all excited. I was like, wow, this is amazing. They're like, look at all these notes I took down. I was so excited. These are all the things that I was excited about doing. We brainstormed, we mapped things out. And he's like, uh, and he's like now this year, I'm ready to come back, learn from you again, and hopefully going to do something. And I grabbed him by the arm and I was like, wait, I changed your life and you did nothing? And he was like, well, well I, I learned and you inspired me. I was like, but I didn't inspire you to actually do anything. So I didn't really change your life. I changed maybe your mindset. I opened your eyes. But until you do something, you're not helping others. You're not putting yourself out there. And so press the damn button. It'll actually end up being my first book, uh, which will come out next year. Will be the, the title will be press the damn button. But, uh, and interestingly enough, I've been writing a book. Uh, I wrote, I tried to write another book that didn't really work out, but the first chapter of press the damn button is my struggle with writing a book. Right. So like, I, I, cause I, I, I just need to press the damn button on a book. Like, geez, I've been talking about writing a book for five years. Um, and, and so part of the, part of the press the damn button is I realize that change is scary. I realize that putting stuff out there is scary for people. Um, doing video, doing podcasting, social media was not hard for me. Writing this book has been really hard for me. And so, Press the damn button really has a more holistic view of telling everybody we all have a story to tell. We need to press the damn button and get it out there because we can all spin our wheels. We can all make excuses, but that doesn't get us anywhere forward. So that's my mantra. It kind of works out really well. And it's amazing. I, I, I get tagged probably two or three posts a day where someone's like, Brian, I pressed the damn button. And it's, it's like that excitement. And I, you know, I even, I get I made stickers and I told people to put it on their laptop because it's amazing when you just remember that, that simple concept, you know, and it just, you know, there's no rocket science here. It's just, Hey, stop overthinking it, press the button and see what happens. And the worst case scenario is it's not perfect because most of the stuff we do at the beginning isn't perfect. Um, and then the other part of this is people assume that I say press the damn button. That means don't have a strategy. And I didn't say that at all. Right. What I mean is you need to put stuff out there to see what works. You can't build a strategy without ever doing anything. So right. I say do something You know, with a podcast. Launch seven episodes of your podcast. Analyze your podcast episodes. And then build a strategy around that. But until you put something out there, it's really hard for you to do it. So I challenge everybody to press the damn button. That's so great. I love that because I'm a doer. Yep. My husband's a thinker. He'll just like <laughs> sit and analyze. I'm like, sometimes I'll look at him and I'll just be like, what are you analyzing? Like I can <laughs> tell by his facial expression. Um, and I'm just more of like, let's, let's just do this. But I even find myself, even though I am like a get it done kind of person, I still struggle with that. And I've got a few projects right now that they're like this close to being able to hit the damn button on it. Um, <laughs> And I finally got to a point a few weeks ago and a few months ago where I was like, I just need to take the next step so I can actually publish this and, and get this live, yep. you know? So, um, I really appreciate your message too. So I love it, it. it's a good, it's a good daily reminder. <laughs> so now as people are out kind of trying to build their presence online and be known for something, um, if you were to leave them with one or two pieces of advice, besides pressing the damn button, um, what would you tell them? 
consistency, consistency, consistency. Um, it is, it's the easiest thing for all of us to do. It, if we put out there that we're going to do something, deliver. And deliver, you know, and, and I use podcasting as a good example, right? The average podcast dies after seven episodes. So if you look on iTunes, there's a ton of podcasts, but there's not very many that have more than seven episodes. The reason that is, is because we all get excited. We're like, oh, I'm going to launch a podcast. And, I'm like, oh, and, and you put it out there and you start getting in the groove. Well, seven weeks in, you're, you're not getting much feedback. And it takes, I mean, podcasting is the hardest um, content, in my opinion, to grow an audience on. It's just, it's a weird format. You only, you only discover new podcasts from someone that listens to podcasts. Right. You know, it's not like it's just a weird space. But what I say is that you have to be consistent. And consistency for some people, they'll come back to me and say, well, what, I, I can't do something every week. And I didn't say deliver every week. I said, be consistent. So if, if your mantra is I want to blog every month, blog every month, it could be every other month. I don't, I don't care what your cadence is. I just know that you must be consistent. And then across that consistency also has to make it, you have to keep it simple, stupid, right? You have to keep it simple for people to find you, right? I'm, I'm iSocial fans. That's the name of my brand. It's kind of my personal brand, but every single social channel, I'm iSocial fans. My website is iSocial fans. My email is Brian at iSocial fans, right? Yeah. In this world where we have so much distraction, so many things that are going thrown at us, so many people make it really hard for people to find us, really hard for people to, you know, discover things across the board. And I usually recommend for people to use their first name, last name, like, don't follow my instruction. Like, I, before I realized the importance of first name, last name, I was too far down the road on building my uh -huh. brand around my social fans. Um, but consistency is probably the number one advice. And then the number two advice is access. I use the word access a lot give people access into who you are. Nobody, nobody cares about what you do. Like, I mean, and it, it sounds really harsh, but like what you do is probably pretty boring, right? Even if you're a marketer for a cool brand, what you do on a daily basis is pretty boring, but we care about why you do it and how you do it and, and your daily processes. Right. And so I always tell people like be consistent and give people access into who you are, not what you do, who you are, what makes you motivate, right? Like just you talking about farming and you talking about getting outside, right? People relate with that much more so than they relate with what you do in your day-to-day -day life, right? And like, this is one of those weird spots for us because we all assume that, oh, if we're not talking about our business, people aren't gonna build business with us. But if you go to a networking event, you go to the golf course, you go to the salon, you, you're sitting in an Uber, most of the time, the business that you make is when you're talking about sports or you're talking about farming or you're talking about your favorite book that you read. And then eventually it backwards and it's like, oh, what do you do for a living? But weirdly enough, online, we start with what we do for a living. And people are like, meh, I'm okay. Too much of that. I don't. And so I, that's my challenge is be consistent. You know, show up and deliver when you say you're going to deliver. And the second part of that is give people access. And that access is how we stand out. That access is how we make a difference. That's so great. Okay. So you've got a book coming out next year, but in the meantime, you've got three podcasts and a couple other places that I'm sure people could find you. What, what is the easiest way for people to get behind your projects and what you're doing? So I just preached consistency. So I social fans with a letter I, and then fans with a Z at the end, F A N Z it's play on my last name. If you search I social fans on your, I don't care what network you follow me on. You don't have to follow me anywhere, wherever your favorite channel is. If it's Instagram, I social fans, if it's Twitter, I social fans, Facebook, I social fans. And I've even made it to where my podcasts come up when you search I social fans as well. Right? So that's my keep it simple method there. So, um, you know, I social is kind of like that central hub. Uh, for my website. 
And uh, I'll have to plug my new podcast because the new podcast is with my, uh, one of my best friends, Amy Landino. Uh, We've been talking about for three years of launching a show together. um, And we finally pressed the damn button on it. So it comes out uh, November of 2018. uh, And it's called Just Try This. And the idea is we give you 35 minutes of advice to just try. And we cover a wide range of topics from entrepreneurship to lifestyle, to marketing, to social media, to content creation. Uh, so yeah, just look in your, whatever podcasting app you like, uh, uh, search, just try this. Okay. Uh, Amy and I hosted, and it's a, it was a heck of a lot of fun. We recorded uh, about eight episodes already, uh, the two of us, and we had, we had almost too much fun. And uh, I'm excited for that project to launch. And uh, this is a lot of fun. I social fans everywhere. Uh, and like I said, challenge me. I reply to every single tweet. So if you're listening to this and you're watching this, um, challenge me. Reply, uh, send me a tweet, ask me a question, uh, and I can guarantee that I'll reply back. That's amazing. That's so great. And I'm so excited to check out your new podcast. Uh, me too. It's so much fun. It was we sat on her. We sat in her living room uh, on the couch recording these episodes, and we just giggled at the end of each one because we we're like, "Wow, this is gold!" Uh, and we and we kind of wished that we had it in 2012, 2013, uh, when the two of us, our personal brand, started to take off. And so that's kind of the goal of that new show. So I'm excited. To, I'm excited for you to listen and and get feedback as well. Yeah. Well, I drive a lot. If I if I go anywhere, I'm in the car for like a good 30 to 45 minutes. So I I've really embraced podcasts. Perfect. So for all of you out there that are like trying to figure out how do I consume all this great stuff that Brian has for us, you can just listen to it in the car. So that's for sure. Um, or on the, on the, in the gym or, you know, like on the airplane. I, I mean, I listen to about 12 podcasts a week. Um, but I do a majority of that on the airplane at the gym in the car, right? Like it's those places where I can't consume anything else. I don't, like for me, I'd rather listen to a podcast than try to text and drive, right? Cause we don't want anybody being a distracted driver. So like right. I promote the other way of, of, of that. So yes, I love it. I, and, and that's the other piece of things that we have to do in this world is you have to find ways that you consume best yourself but also maximize your time. That's working smarter, right? Where rather than me reading every blog post that comes across my desk, I consume more podcasts when I can't read. And, that, and that's kind of that, that, that healthy balance. Yeah. Well, and again, back to your point about meeting people where they are, like they might learn better by reading, but they yep. might have more time to listen. So you're providing them that option. That's sure. so great. Well, thanks so much, Brian. Really appreciate you coming on. A lot of fun. Thanks for having me.